It's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? You know? They can see it in my eyes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This week's guests, yes, there are two of them, is Daniel Terry from Discography Discussion. And the guest that we talked to today was Adam Morgan. Uh, Dan actually is joining me for this intro, something I've never actually done. So, uh, Dan, thanks again for coming on and and doing this chat with me. Yeah, no problem, man. It's good to be here. I'm super pumped. I I feel like I owed you guys one for for tanking... (laughs) The episode I was on. Oh well, you know what, man? It happens. You know, uh, we we cut all your shit out. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone ever wanted like an AA meeting, like where it's like an intervention, just record yourself get sloppy drunk, and then it's like, oh fuck, people let me do that. Like, what happened? (laughs) We do it every week, man. I guess. Um, So, kind of tell me a little bit about how you got into uh, to Hope's Fall, because I know, like, when I had mentioned I was going to have Adam on, and I reached out, you were you were pretty excited about that. Yeah, I was pretty jazzed up about it. I uh, I got into Hope's Fall years ago, probably like 16, 17 years ago, and uh, I picked up their very first record, uh, not when it came out. I was I was a few years late on that, but I picked up, uh, I, I quickly got myself up to date and have been a fan of the band ever since, and uh, I got three more, or two more records from them after that uh, initial finding, and um, I really loved what I heard on those, and uh, I've, I've been a diehard fan ever since, so I'm, I'm really... Uh, I'm definitely really excited to be talking to Adam tonight and um, kind of getting his perspective on some of those records and seeing if some of the things that I felt about those records line up with what he felt about them. Yeah, it was kind of interesting uh, about because I was listening to the conversation you guys had about Hope's Ball today, and it was 2017 when you guys recorded it, and the news that the band was reuniting was happening, but you guys were waiting for an album announcement, and here we are probably about a year later and you're getting to kind of talk about the things that you did on your podcast and kind of get some of the answers uh your questions answered and it's always interesting like when i look back on some of the people i've had on that i've been a lifelong fan of and get to ask these questions it's always kind of like holy shit you mean i get to do this like what the fuck is my life yeah 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 for sure like it's oh (laughs) yeah i like it's it's hard to put into words because like when we when we started doing our podcast, it was like really, um, we never thought we'd be talking to anybody or, or, or getting those perspectives. We were just like, oh, I like this record. Uh, I don't like this one because of this. And then I like this one because of this. And, you, you know, um, it, it's definitely developed over time, you know, be, being kind of more of an introspective thing, which, you know, like when you start a podcast, you don't necessarily want to just talk about you. But uh, it, it kind of becomes that way over time, and especially with some of these chats, um, you know, you really kind of gets into the psyche of some of your uh, favorite podcast hosts. You kind of fig- kind of figure out where they're coming from, and you know, <laughs> yeah, it's been it's it's been a lot of fun, man. It's uh, been kind of unreal, you know. Yeah, I'm uh, hoping. I'm kind of looking forward to doing this chat. Like I've never had a guest host on. I've never had a co-host on. So you, we're, I'm breaking all kind. You're breaking my virginal territory here on the podcast. That's uh, what I do best. <laughs> well, I think uh, we should get right into our conversation with uh, Adam Morgan of Hope's Ball because it is it is a long one. 
So yeah, let's do it. All right. Awesome. So I have the pleasure this evening of talking to not one guest, but two. I have Daniel Terry of the Discography Discussion joining me today as a co-host to talk with Adam Morgan of Hopeswall. How are you gentlemen doing this evening? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm doing good, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks you. Thank you both for actually coming. Uh, it was a pretty short notice, but we, we got it all to align, and I'm very thankful to have you both on. Uh, Dan, just uh, real quickly, for those who may not know, uh, kind of give a little bit of background about your uh, introduction to the band and, and kind of where your, your fandom lies over the years. Okay, well, uh, I started with uh, Hope's Fall back in, uh, I guess it was probably around 2001, 2002. So, I mean, I came a little bit late to the party, but I actually picked up their first record, The Frailty Words, uh, just randomly, actually, from a, uh, it was a, a CD store, and it was in the hodgepodge section so i paid like a buck for that record and uh i was uh, i was pretty blown away uh whenever i put it in and uh really liked really like you know because i was really into hardcore at the time and um so i mean that that record obviously spoke to me on that level and uh you know it was uh really cool the band had a lot of melody to them and uh, i had literally literally no complaints and even in even in 2018 i really have no complaints so i've i've definitely been uh <laughs> been a big hopes fall guy uh for for years now and uh definitely one of my favorite bands and uh, i'm happy to happy to be doing this interview man it's uh it's gonna be exciting yeah and kind of for a little bit of a juxtaposition against that i didn't come into the band really until i had found out about this band from the same area down in north carolina uh harvard and harvard got elected to or asked to join uh hopes fall on their reunion show so as a result of knowing the opening band i kind of got into the band after the fact and went backwards so i think this is going to be kind of fun to talk with adam and, and kind of get a, a, a very interesting dialogue going between a longtime fan and a new fan who's kind of started at a very later point going back and, and what we're both looking forward to from the band going forward with their new record uh coming out soon arbiter so let's uh let's start you know adam how did what got you into playing drums in the first place <clears throat> um let's see i guess um in in two words, Phil Collins, yes, um, an, an uncle of mine. Uh, Phil Collins, your uncle? Back, yeah. I wish, <laughs> man, that'd be badass. Uh, no, he. Uh, I had an uncle, or still have him. Um, but back when I was probably in, gosh, maybe like fifth or sixth grade, maybe I don't know. He came over. Um, for a family gathering for like uh, Christmas or something when the family all gets together. And um, he brought over this Phil Collins CD, uh, a serious hits live. And he was playing it. And I, I always thought he was, he was my favorite uncle. He was, you know, just always really cool to me and my brother. And he was fun to play with. And I, he drove a really cool car. And so like, I automatically just kind of, looked up to him and if he thought something was cool then i thought it was cool and he was jamming this serious hits live cassette or uh cd sorry and um and i just 
picked up on it. And as soon as they left, you know, as soon as the family left and, and the holidays were over, I asked my mom if we could go to the CD store so I could buy that CD. And then I just sat there and air drummed uh, to it in my bedroom for for the longest time. And uh, but, the, you know, then as I got older and, you know, my musical uh, preferences started changing, I always still gravitated to listening to what the drummer was doing. And I just that always just kind of made more sense to me than all the possibilities of where you could put your fingers on a guitar. And it was just I, that just kind of boggled my mind. So I just stuck with drums. And that's just kind of how that got started. It's kind of interesting in you talking about Phil Collins. I always have felt like he's a, such an underrated drummer and he's such a, a drummer who plays for the song, not for the, the part per se, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like a Ringo or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you, do you think yeah. that you definitely took that out of, you know, learning so much from his discography and what he's done as a solo artist and as a band person? <clears throat> Maybe subconsciously. Uh, that's a good question, but, Honestly, it's probably just for my lack of chops that uh, someone might listen to what I play and say, perhaps maybe he's playing for the song and not, you know, just kind of showing off. I can't show off because I'm not that good. So (laughs) whatever you hear me play is just like me trying to (laughs) do the best I can and also serve the music as well. But I can't. You know, if 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 we were one of those bands and the singer announced, you know, drum solo, it would it would be the most terrible thing you've ever heard. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what um uh, what kind of got you into you know wanting to start a band and what was the fir- earlier versions of your your first couple bands? What did they sound like? Well, um. All my friends were always older than I was um, by a couple years, so they were always kind of ahead, you know. And I was just the younger kid, always kind of trying to keep up with them and what was cool musically. And uh, you know, some of those older guys started playing guitar, and I kind of played drums. So you know, I just asked them if I could jam with them, and that's how that kind of started happening. And then our first band that I was in was, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, we, we, we wanted to call ourselves emo and I guess it kind of sounded emo, but it was a three piece and it was, um, it was me on drums and it was Chris Kincaid on guitar, who was the first bass player for Hope's Fall on the first record. So it was me and him and our friend, uh, named Sarah Snyder played bass and we were a three piece and, I was probably 15 at the time. Okay. And Chris was, Chris was like, Chris had to have been 19 or maybe even 20 at that point. But, um, you know, he just constantly wrote songs and he'd bring them to practice and we'd just jam on them. And then eventually uh, that kind of lost steam. And some of our other friends, you know, we all ran in a big pack and uh, everybody, you know, when one guy picked up guitar, the other guy did. And so then that just kind of, that emo band just kind of shifted members and we shifted direction. And then that became Hope's Fall. 
just a couple years later, I recorded the first Hope Soul album. Uh, I think it was in 98 and I was 17. Holy shit. So, yeah, that's how far that goes back. <laughs> I was, so, I think I had just moved here to Michigan from Delaware at that point. Uh, yeah, I heard you talking to James Hart about how you used to live on the East Coast and then you moved over to the West Coast. So how long have you been in the West Coast or the the Midwest now? Uh, I moved here in 90, like the in between of like nine, school year of like 95, 96. Um, so I moved here when I was 12 and I'm 30. I'm going to be 34 in a couple months. Uh, so I've been here more. I've been in okay. here in Michigan longer than I ever was back in Delaware. But it's kind of it's it's kind of interesting, too, because uh, I don't know if anyone else has kind of lived in different areas. But growing up out east and having memories of that and then even now living here in the Midwest, it, it's very interesting to kind of see the differences between, you know, dialect, the way people live and so on and so forth. And I've always thought that, you know, people in touring bands like you're such as yourself probably get to see an interesting cross section of people, given the fact that you're in a completely different area all the time and just how interesting that must be when so many people were like, Oh, these people are like this. And it's like, how do you know you've never even left this fucking state? <laughs> <laughs> right. I was just saying that, man. Yeah. That's, that was a long time ago that we've been touring. So I don't, I really don't, nothing really sticks out about how people are different to me. Really. The, the biggest mind, I guess kind of mind blown moment was the first time we went over to the West coast and it was just, I can't even, I don't know how to describe the way the people were or just how the environment was, but it was just so different to know that you're on the complete opposite side of the U S you know, and, uh, and that was just awesome. Yeah. The home thing's kind of hard for me because, uh, I was born in North Carolina, but lived my entire life here in uh, St. Louis. So <laughs> it's like, how do you, how do you really, you know, um, you know, reconcile that, you know, uh, everybody's like, you know, Oh, so you, you know a lot about the East Coast. I was like, no, I, not not really. Uh, <laughs> I'm more of a, uh, I'm definitely more of a Midwest guy. I've always been, and um, so to find out about you know like stuff like you know like the emo stuff that you were talking about, Adam is, uh, you know, so like when you were back playing emo, you know that you know that was the good emo, right? Like that was <laughs> that was the stuff <laughs> yeah. that you know that that I would consider to be you know some of the more influential stuff and. Uh, what 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 year would you place that in? You know, pre Hope's fall, um, was that like what ninety six, ninety seven, something sometime around there? Yeah, yep, exactly, like ninety six, probably. Very cool. So what like, uh, that's when when all the stuff on Crank Records was coming out, and the emo scene, the the Midwest emo scene was incredible. And man, if I could have lived in Kansas City in the mid to late nineties that would have been incredible, you know, with bands like the get up kids and, um, gosh, like, uh, who, oh, man, I'm drawing up a coalesce. I mean, I know they're not emo, but, um, <laughs> Shiner funny. was, came from back there. They're not, emo. Kansas city had a crazy scene back then. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Uh, I was in Kansas city about a year ago. Um, and they, they're starting to build up again. You know, it's, it's more like hardcore bands, but uh, I really I went to a show there. It was actually at a house. Like, how old school is that? Like in 2017, I was at a house show, and uh, you know they, they had all these kind of emerging like emo hardcore bands and stuff. And it definitely seemed like a relic of the past. But I I wasn't complaining one bit, you know. <laughs> and uh, no, was, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, there it seems like they're kind of building up, you know, kind of a kind of a scene there, which I thought was really cool. 
but uh yeah no it's it's really interesting that you know like you say that you know you were in an emo band prior to hopes fall and later on you know kind of what you were doing kind of ended up becoming hopes fall because i definitely always got a huge vibe especially from frailty of words you know that that idea of like yes we're a hardcore band but you know we we we're not afraid to be melodic. We're not afraid to be vulnerable, you know, and that, that was one of the things that really attracted me to the band originally. And, uh, I guess, I guess my question to you is, you know, was that a conscious choice where you like, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna take, you know, kind of this more melodic thing to the hardcore kids. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that was absolutely. We, I mean, we were all so into, uh, those emo bands at the time that we were writing uh, Frailty of Words and we had also just I mean not too not too far prior to writing that is when we stumbled into hardcore so it was like these two genres that we that were just new and exciting and we we loved both aspects of um and we just kind of, it just kind of came naturally. We didn't sit around and talk about, well, let's, let's do a 50% hardcore, you know, part and then 50% emo. It's just, I mean, the guys, the, the guitar players grew up just worshiping the smashing pumpkins and, and hum. And then, you know, those were kind of the radio bands uh, of the time. And then that's kind of when, there was this explosion of this underground emo and hardcore world that was brought to our eyes. And so it was like a strong foundation of like, of like smashing pumpkins, hum, Pearl Jam. Uh, but then it was finding bands like mineral and the casket lottery and promise ring, but also, hearing bands like Snapcase and Earth Crisis and Strong Arm and all these other just exciting bands coming that we're just discovering new stuff every day. And it all just kind of blended right into what we wanted to play, what, what, you know, what just started coming out of us. And it was just, it was a complete... Uh, testament to what we were listening to back then but we didn't even we weren't it wasn't a conscious decision it was just this makes sense to us and and that's how it came out out of curiosity when you guys are creating something that's that's not the norm even probably on your local scene what was the reaction to your music early on i'm trying that's a good question i'm trying to go back that far um (laughs) I mean, I, people seem the the kids around here in Charlotte really uh, welcomed us, and I mean, our shows it seems right off the bat were always, you know, uh, really well, really well perceived, and it seemed like the shows got bigger and bigger each time, and um, we also had a ton of great bands back then around Charlotte and Raleigh and around the North Carolina hardcore scene. And, um, it really was, I mean, it was a great scene and it felt like family and any show you were going to play, you knew 
everyone was going to be there and it was great. And, um, you know, people were screaming their hearts out and enjoying themselves. And I, I thought it, I, looking back, you know, I think it, I think everybody really appreciated what we were doing. Interesting. I always just kind of like to, to go back when I can and find out, you know, there's a lot like on Dan's uh, discography discussion that they did with, on your guys, on your guys's discography, that was kind of redundant, but uh, they were making, you know, a comment about how a lot of bands ripped you off and got further along in their careers than potentially you guys really ever did. And so it's always kind of interesting to look back on something and be like, you know, this band had this thing, but maybe came a little too early or, or something like that. And so I always kind of wondered what's it like from the person's perspective that went through it. You know, do you, did you realize you were making something that was so unique and what was it like, you know, when people were coming to shows, like, cause I could kind of see people just kind of standing there with their arms crossed, kind of going like, what the fuck is this? It's not the hardcore right. I'm used to. It's not, it's not rock cause it's heavier than that, but it's not hardcore that I'm used to cause you don't have a lot of very different subgenres like you do now because that's a played out thing. So, you know, I kind of want to go back and maybe just kind of look at that a little bit and see what that was like. Cause I just, I kind of agree with them. Like, and going back and listening through the discography, there's a lot of things that you guys were doing collect as the collective that were fresh and new at the time, but became kind of identifiers that other bands would kind of take and run with. And when they brought that up, I was just kind of like, yeah, that's kind of true. And, and, you know, like I said, what was it just kind of like for you to, to experience that? And even if, uh, you know, like if it was kind of like a motherfucker, like we did this thing and people are <laughs> taking it from us and they're, they're getting our success. Like, was there ever that kind of a moment either? Uh, personally for me, I never really thought much about it. Um, and it's still, it's still kind of flattering to hear that even if I believe it or not, but I don't know. I, I can't dwell on that. I mean, if, if, if people say that we helped create a certain sound that, that other bands got popular and successful on, then that's, I mean, all, all I can take that as is just flattering and that's, that's great, you know, good for them. And, um, maybe we just, maybe we just started that train a little too early and kind of drove by everyone and then uh everybody else jumped on and got the success i don't know but um well yeah, and i, th I don't think, I about think it too much oh sorry uh the thing no. the thing for me was that i at the time i was in um we're not going to dwell on this too much on the rec on the on the podcast but uh, one of the things that attracted me to the band you know originally was i was a christian hardcore kid from the beginning you know like during during that time period, you know, like like you know some of the bands you mentioned, like Strong Arm, and uh, like Focused and and bands like that, you know, um, Hope's Fall was really kind of a breath of fresh air whenever they came out because it was one of those like, you know, like I was really into that whole like Christian scene, but like it was a little bit too insane, like a little bit too like e even back then I kind of felt like you know some of the bands were a little bit too tough guy. And a little mm -hmm. bit too like in your face about stuff that not everybody at the show was on board with, and I think that uh, you know I mean I really enjoyed it at the time, but you know later in life I kind of appreciated what what you guys threw down on uh, on the frailty of words, and that you had a record that had you know kind of a a positive spin to it, 
and had, you know, kind of faith-based lyrics. And I mean, Doug's delivery on those records was just so passionate and so, you know, so in the pocket for what people liked from hardcore. Because for me, hardcore is all about the passion. And so, you know, like Hopesfall had that in spades, you know, in especially on that record, The Frailty of Words. And um, I remember just kind of really be, being taken aback that like, wow, you know, we, we have a band that actually kind of gets it as far as like, they're not alienating, but they're trying to just kind of, you know, expose us, expose us emotionally, but also give us kind of that positive spin. And so I think, uh, you know, in the early days, I would have described Hope's Fall as kind of like a Christian hardcore band. I know that's not really the case now, you know, like as far as like a band can be no more Christian than a, than a glass of water, you know, uh, right. but right. you know, it'd be one of those things where, you know, back at that time, whenever I was like really, you know, into the scene and, and all that. Um, and I think, you know, kind of, kind of part of John's question too, was that, you know, what was it like kind of dealing with that, you know, in the beginning of, yes, we have faith-based lyrics, but then at the same time, you've got these people attaching things to it that aren't necessarily, um, things that you had attached to it yourselves, you know, like people, people reading too much into it and making your music into maybe something that it was not, you know, is that, is that something that you guys experienced back in the frailty of words, uh, era? Um, maybe a little bit. Um, I mean, back in the frailty of words era, I mean, we were, we were all still, I mean, we were all still going to church together on like Wednesday nights and, and, and stuff like that. So we were still very, if I, I think if I'm already certainly right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we were still very much, uh, in that, especially me, that, that Christian, uh, youth group kind of scene. And, and I mean, we had, we were a, a tight knit crew of us. I mean, there was, there's about 20 of us that were, I mean, always hanging out together. So we were, we were always trying to figure out how to word this. Um, I mean, we were kind of in our own bubble at that time because we were so young. We didn't, most of us didn't understand how the outside world worked. Uh, you know, so we, this was, you know, being, being in the Christian youth group and being in that bubble of friends that all think and believe the same way was just completely normal to us. And it really, it really didn't dawn on us that there were, I don't know, man, you have to edit this. I, Cause I'm, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to process this question and the memories that I'm having. Um, it was just, uh, and I'm sorry, John, Dan, uh, you're good. That's, no, it's okay. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a loaded question. It's something that I like to bring no, up no. a lot. And... Yeah. I mean, we played, we played shows. Uh, well, no, that's not, that's not the question you were asking. Um, I mean, people, people never really made it more than what it was as far as, uh, lyrical content or anything like that, because, that's who we were. I mean, in the early days, Doug would, if he felt like it, he would start, I don't want to say preaching, but he would go on a little, uh, you know, 
rant that was kind of not too in your face, but just kind of like, and not an altar call either, but I mean, inspired. If, he, if he felt led to say, yeah, if he felt inspired, exactly. Thank you, Dan. If he felt inspired, then he would say something. And that, uh, you know, a, a lot of people can either, you know, if you're in the Christian scene and you're in the Christian hardcore scene back then, that's what you wanted. Like, you, you know, you wanted the singer to get up there and start, you know, preaching. But if, you know, if you were a kid that didn't want to have anything to do with that, that was, that was a good chance for you to turn your back on that band. But, um, it's a good time to I go. Know. We beer, always right? had, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, we always had, a. I thought, I always felt like we were still respected by the, um, the non-Christian bands that we were playing with and the, the non-believers that were, you know, there for the show. Um, we, you know, every once in a while, there'd be some good humor, you know, kind of poking at us, but we never really, you know, took it to heart or anything like that, but I'm well, sorry, that's refreshing. That way away from your no. question, but no, I mean, it, that's refreshing to hear though. Cause like, I mean, on, on my podcast, I've talked to the guys from Zayo, you know, a few other Christian bands and, you know, they, they had kind of more of a, more of a negative experience. So I, I always kind of try to gauge, you know, what it was like. Uh, for bands that started off in that scene, you know, and um, I think for some bands, it's a really good launching point, you know, because, you know, if you're a Christian hardcore band back in the late 90s, you know, that was that was during a time where you have records like Blood and Fire by Zayo, um, Embrace the Eternal yes. by Embodiment, Living Sacrifices Reborn was really big at that time. And I mean, I guess as big as a Christian metalcore band could be in the early 2000s, you know, like. 1999, 2000, that cusp, you know? And, uh, so no, that's, that's really refreshing to hear though, that you guys kind of didn't have to deal with a lot of the shit that other, that other bands, you know, had had to deal with at that time. And I think part of that might've just been because you guys weren't, um, you you know, you you guys weren't, you know, on the, on the West coast and, you know, dealing with that, like, uh, just that, that crazy hardcore movement that took place then. And, um, I think the emo element kind of helped you guys too, in the sense that people were looking for something that was a little bit more than the standard hardcore, you know? And I think you guys guys definitely delivered in that. Right. Yeah. We never, I mean, we never, we never really had a hard go at it for being a Christian band in my memory. I mean, everything just always kind of seemed to be a mutual respect. And I mean, I don't have any good stories about, people walking out on us because of anything or, you know, anything faith-based. And it was just really, it was just an all-encompassing scene back then for us. I mean, I know other bands went through it, but I mean, honestly, looking back, there was no real drama uh, when it came to that issue. Um, Maybe it was just, maybe just the music and our, you know, our passion for what we were doing, maybe just kind of transcended whatever you're hung up on and you just were there to enjoy the music, how it should be. And, um, and it just, it went really smoothly. Well, and that's really cool because yeah, I mean, and obviously that, that, that is truthful in the sense that you, know, you guys signed with trust kill, um, not too long after. And, you know, trust kill wasn't a Christian label or, you know, like, um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the kind of thing that Christian metal fans went to, you know, it wasn't the label, um, that, that you would look at for the, for that kind of music. So 
Uh, I remember, you know, whenever I saw that the re- you know frailty had come out on Trust Kill It. I think it came out on um. Oh, what was that record label? I should know this. I'm like blanking on it. Um, or something like that. Something with initials. No, no, it was. Um, Take hold. Take hold. That's uh, right. I just uh, I just pre-ordered the uh, Zale All Us Failed from Take Hold because they have. Uh, oh recently... wait, no. They. Oh no, that was um. Uh, that no Take Hold isn't not putting anything out now. Uh, I know who was, I know what you're talking about that repress, but now I can't think of uh, who's doing that. It Dang. was uh. Chad, what was his record label? Um, wasn't Chad take- was the name? Chad, Chad. That's funny because Chad did. There was a Chad who owned Takehold. Oh yeah, but yeah. Uh, God, what is that? Yeah, what was I that other label? Pop God, up on okay. the- I should know this. Hold yeah. on, I'm I'm, I'm being steadfast. That's it. Steadfast Records. That was uh, that's what my copy of No Wings is. But I know that No Wings was reissued on uh, Trust Kill later on and wait, uh, wait 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 no 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 no. all right now we're getting now we're getting all mixed up we're getting into some right. sorry <laughs> yeah no no okay originally no wings was on take hold take hold right that's what my um, copy says is take hold records yes yes and then uh yeah actually it was take hold take hold was the record label that we did the contract well we didn't even have a contract but take hold was who funded no wings to speak of recording and put out the CD and then, um, and then after we signed a trust kill, trust kill bought the rights to no wings to speak of, but then they licensed the 10 inch, um, LP, you know, vinyl to a guy named Chris who did one day savior records Right, and he's the guy that put it out on vinyl. Um, but I guess is the is the take hold still on the the jacket? Take hold is so. There's two two versions that I've seen. I've got the original take hold records release of No Wings. Like I mean, it's just it's just says take hold records on on it and doesn't have anything else on there. But then I have seen in in like UCD stores, I have seen a copy that just says Trust Kill on it. Oh, CDs. Okay, my bad. I thought you were talking about vinyl. Yes, okay. I'm sorry. I'm old school, so I refer to everything yeah. as a record. That's that's my <laughs> right. bad. Um, so yeah, gotcha. the CD was released by Takehold first, and then Trust Kill re-released the CD in 2002 uh, under under right. there because I guess they had licensed it, and I think it actually even says in the in the liner notes that that it's you know was was licensed from take hold records you know um right but yeah and that's your, uh, okay your copy should be on a uh, like a waxy this was the cool difference like the original uh take hold cd had like a the booklet had like a waxy kind of matte paper uh that it was printed on and then the the um trust kill one was just regular glossy i believe do you, do you remember yeah, that at yeah, all? No, I do. I do. And like, cause yeah, my copy, I always used to tell people, oh, yeah, this thing feels cool. You know, you gotta yeah. <laughs> listen to the, you gotta listen to the record and read the lyrics along with it. And, you know, like I, um, and I'm still very much a proponent of that, you know, on, on anything that you buy, you know, would be sure, it a CD sure. or vinyl, you know? Uh, but yeah, like that, no means to speak of man, like that came out of nowhere for me. You know, in the in the sense that I heard frailty words, and then I found out that you know, 
because I probably heard of the band after Satellite Years had come out. And so I kind of had to do a little bit of backtracking because I had frailty words. And then I picked up No Wings and then um, I picked up Satellite Years, I think on the same day, actually. And, um, you know, man, No Wings was just uh, like I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, because I'm, I'm going on and on about like the melodic and emotional aspect of of frailty of words but like knowing to speak of had that in spades like i mean it was oh yeah such a natural progression but at the same time it was like totally out there and that like as we we always liken hopes fall to space uh on our podcast and uh that that was the big thing we always said that you know frailty of words is what you're experiencing on earth knowing to speak of you know they're starting to blast off into the atmosphere you know and you see <laughs> like a lot that. of that yeah, you you see a lot of that. No wings to speak of. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's an EP, but I I, I definitely count it as a full length record because you know it, it passes my twenty minute test. You know, being a hardcore fan, if it's more than twenty minutes, it's a it's a record. Okay. <laughs> and so, all right. Uh, so no wings was definitely um, a, a huge record for me, and it definitely uh, you know you guys really grew on that, and I noticed that you know it wasn't as in your face you know, religious as, uh, as frailty of words was. And I don't know if that right. was necessarily intentional or not, but I mean, it definitely, it definitely flowed. You know, you can say what you want about whether or not, you know, did they stop being a Christian band on this record? Or did they stop being one on this record? Um, and I never really looked at it in those terms, um, with hopes fall. It was more of just one of those, like, this is, this is absolutely where they were going, uh, with, uh, right. with, you know, frailty of words. And uh, I definitely heard the progression on that. And so was that something that, you know, when you guys put out the EP, did you guys think that it was going to have, you know, the impact that it did? I mean, for an EP, you know, a lot of the times bands are just kind of prepping up for their full length coming after. But was uh, was No Wings something that you guys, you know, really um, put a lot into as far as like touring and, and treating it like a like a like a full length record? Uh, no. But we, I mean, if we did tour more, it was just because we were just kind of at a point um, at our age and people were out of school, you know, that we might, we may have started touring a little bit more, but we were still, we were still just doing long weekends and then like Cornerstone and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, that was just, uh, the EPs are fun because there's such a short burst of creativity, you know, four songs and that's it, you know, but um we didn't, I mean, we didn't know, we didn't know it was going to be, you know, looked at years later as, you know, one of our go-tos, you know, that people talk about when you talk about Hope's Fall, you know, end of an era, um, and just the whole EP in general. But we, I mean, we felt good about it and we loved the songs that we were playing. We felt that they were, um, definitely a step up from the frailty of words. You know, I mean, the frailty of words, it it was our first, it was our first attempt at being a band and our first time being in a studio. So, I mean, it was just kind of a, a learning process and we just kept going and it, it, you know, it's just the next natural progression. I think we all got a little bit better at our instruments. Um, Ryan and Josh and Doug, uh, you know, got better with um, how they wrote lyrics, you know, uh, you know, using metaphors and, and other things that they may have picked up, you know, just as they were growing and reading. And so it was just all, it was just a culmination of just, uh, 
taking what we knew and what we did and learning from it, from frailty and just taking that next step up and kind of taking it to the next level in a short burst of, you know, four song creativity. And it just turned out really well, I think. Yeah, it definitely did. You know, I'm not trying to stroke the ego, but yeah, that, that record definitely, I mean, I still spin that every now and again and I, I just am uh, and blown away at, at the progression from frailty at words, which was more of a hardcore record overall. You know I mean? You guys had that melody, you had that emotion. It was all there on frailty, but on no wings, it really, you know, um, for lack of a better term, you know, really took off. And, uh, you know, you started realizing, you know, what, what this band was going to be capable of. So when we get to satellite, um, that was, uh, that was a little different. I remember hearing going from frailty and, and no wings. And obviously the first thing I noticed is that all the singers, not the same. And, uh, right. that was, uh, that, it, and I don't want to say that whenever it came out, it was off putting for me because I think Jay did a, did an amazing job on satellite, you know, um, with that being a record that, you know, was uh, kind of pivotal for the band as far as being your first, like, I mean, obviously Frailty was the first record, but Satellite Years was probably the first record that a lot of people heard. Right, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like Jimmy World, you know, no one knows their first record. And, uh, but yeah, but then you say Clarity, and then, you know, people know that one, even though that's their third record. Sorry, I digress. But yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> You know, something that, sorry to cut you off, Dan, uh, something that they had kind of uh, mentioned on, on th- their podcast when they were going through your guys' discography that I thought was a really good point, too, and you kind of had just mentioned it a little bit by talking about how the, the songwriters kind of were coming into their own, was was the lyrical concept or were the lyrics kind of already pre-written before Jay got in the band, or did he handle all the vocal duties, all the lyrics, everything on his own? No, it was, it was, um, it was, uh, let me see. I'm trying to think this was a long time ago. I, I believe that everybody contributed except for me. I was never good with words as you can tell as I'm doing this podcast, <laughs> but, um, the, uh, no, Doug had, we had began, we had begun writing satellite years with Doug. And I think Doug might've had one or two songs in the bag, uh, lyrically that Jay just went on to, uh, you know, use and mimic. But, uh, I can't remember if Jay started writing lyrically right off the bat. He must have, but, uh, Ryan Parrish was always uh, a big, uh, lyrical contributor and, uh, Josh, uh, Brigham, he would write lyrics from time to time. Um, so it was, it was always kind of something that that those three guys would bring in and be like, Hey, I was reading this book and it got me thinking. And anyway, here's some, some lyrics I wrote, you dig them. If not, you know, we can scrap them, but, but yeah, it was always just kind of a collective effort, uh, lyrically speaking and musically. Very cool. I think, uh, I think Jay did a really good job coming in after Doug. Cause I mean, I remember, after hearing, you know, frailty of words and no wings, I was kind of like Doug or bust, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> as a fan. And so it was one right. of those, you know, like, I don't know if I can accept this new singer. It's funny that I call him the new singer. Cause he's been on more hopeful records than Doug has, but right, <laughs> it's yeah. one of those it's well, yeah, it's funny. Corey from Norma Jean deals with the same thing, you know, like he, he's been on more records than uh, Joshua Scogan was on, but 
you know, he still gets yep. called the new singer all these years later. And uh, he's a big fan of Hope's Fall as well. And uh, it's funny. It's funny, uh, you know, because I really uh, I loved the delivery on uh, Satellite Years and that the vocals were kind of uh, turned down a little bit, like a little bit more atmospheric, like in just the way it was mixed. And, uh, you know, obviously right. it all came together really well. I've, I've already gushed about Satellite, you know, for hours on my own podcast. But it's one of those. Uh, <laughs> It's one of those things where, you know, I think that was that was really the big transition for Hope's Fall and that you could go from being just this hardcore band to being a band that, you know, people the I think the average music listener could could hear and kind of kind of get something from, you know, and uh, and, you know, I thought that I thought that was really cool. And I guess, you know, um, with that with that being your last record for the band until obviously um, recently, you know, what did, what did that record mean to you, you know, as far as. Uh, as far as far as the recording and, and and how it was received oh that that was a good one to go out on uh for me uh just because uh it was just kind of the height of our relevance uh at that point and being able to go into a studio where one of my favorite albums ever was recorded which was um the egg by a band called shiner mm-hmm. um that they recorded there and also just to be able to spend a couple weeks recording with Matt Talbot from hum was a, I mean, a dream come true. I mean, I remember when we started talking about the, you know, what, what are some recording studios that y'all have on your mind that you might want to do this new record at, you know, talking about the satellite years. Um, you know, there was a couple places, uh, you know, like a place in New Jersey or something. And then um, someone was like, what if we went to that place that Shiner uh, did their record and Matt Talbot from home owns the place? That would be incredible. And we were like, yeah, right. Like, that's going to happen. And then, you know, back then we had managers and, uh, you know, we just threw that out there and we're like, okay go get this for us if you can, you know. Um, and they called back and they're like, he'd love to do it. And we just lost our minds. So, um, to you know, for for that recording process, I mean, I think I just woke up every day with a smile and went to bed just smiling. Just you know, just being able to hang out with one of our musical, you know, heroes, and not only just to hang out with them, but to be working with them and to get his, you know, just his take and his insight on you know some tones or or what we should do vocally on this part. And then when he actually sang on a, on a song was just, it was just incredible. So, I mean, that whole experience of recording the satellite years was a blast. And, uh, there's a, there's a video I put on YouTube years ago where I, I had a bunch of, uh, footage from the studio that I kind of pieced together. And it's a, it's a pretty neat video. Uh, if you ever want to check it out, but, um, it's, it's uh, I think it's still up there. I haven't taken it down or anything. But yeah, that was just a great, a great time all around. Uh, hearing Matt on um uh, on uh, Escape Pods was yeah, it was definitely awesome because I had been a huge hum. I don't know if you could be a Hope's Fall fan and not be a hum fan. You know, like it was, right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you're, you're definitely you know on the same boat. You know, as far as uh having that more atmospheric sound and 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 you know that uh for lack of a better term, that, that spacey, you know, space rock kind of, uh, kind of vibe. And, uh, and yeah, that, 
that that was kind of a dream come true for me too. Hearing uh, hearing him sing on Escape Pod because it was just so it was such a culmination of everything that had come before. And um, you know, it just really I remember thinking like, there's there's no way this can't be like the biggest band in the world. And that's uh, maybe that's naivety talking, you know, in the sense of like, well, if it's what I'm into, so it's got to be what's popular, you know. <laughs> but uh, right, you know, right. But yeah, no, that was definitely that was definitely awesome, and and to follow that song up with the bending was, uh, I mean, the bending for for a lot of people like myself is is kind of one of those songs that you know it's a it's a career defining song and um, one of the best ending of a record I've heard, and uh, you know the bending was uh, probably for the longest time I remember listening to that song on repeat, you know, um, before uh, before A types came out and just really just being like I don't. I don't see how it could get better than this, you know? <laughs> and, uh, oh man. Thank you. Yeah. yeah thank well, you. it's, you know, um, you know, and I, I don't say these things to, to suck up or to be, you know, to be whatever about it, but I mean, it's just, just honest, heartfelt feeling. And, you know, um, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be more excited about, about what was to come as well. Kind right. Of, kind yeah. Of, I think a lot of people felt that way. Yeah. Go ahead. Go Sorry, I was going to say, you know, and kind of something I had been wondering with you guys leading up to making the satellite years, what was the uh, the mindset and approach to writing the material? You know, like you lose your original vocalist and then you got this new guy coming in. Did you feel like this is the time to kind of experiment and kind of just see what you guys were capable of as a whole? Or was it just kind of this stuff naturally happened and became the album that it was. I always kind of wondered that with, with sort of the shift, uh, styling stylistically. Right. No, uh, during satellite year or yeah, during satellite years, when Jay came in, uh, as the vocalist, um, we just kind of kept it, you know, business as usual, as far as how we approach songwriting and, and things like that until we got to the last, song that we were recording for the for the record and we were running out of time we had like a day left and the music was done because that's that's how we always kind of wrote uh <laughs> you know music first and then yeah vocals last but um we were kind of getting down to the end of it and we had nine songs done and it was uh the song decoys like curves i think that's what it's called uh and that's when we kind of was like, well, maybe we could try something different. You know, Jay, Jay, you can sing, you know, if, if you have like a, if you have a melody or something, you know, that you're here and, you know, you just want to go for it. Let's, let's start trying some stuff because we got a day left and we got one more song to finish up. And that's when, uh, he just started singing over an entire song, uh, pretty much. I mean, there's some screaming on that one, but I no, he smashed point, it, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were, when we heard it all, you know, mixed together and, and everything, we were like, I think that's probably what got us into, I think to answer John's question, I think the, the, um, experimenting obviously came next with a type. Um, because that's when we started getting the idea after we heard decoys like curves after Jay put the vocals on them that man, we could, we could do something different. Uh, you know, Doug's not, Doug was never a singer. You know, Doug was just a passion filled 
belted out screamer, but now we've got this kind of Swiss army knife kind of guy. And, you know, let's take a stab at maybe this singing thing. Let's, let's just kind of, let's kind of go this direction. I mean, it's what we were all listening to anyway, you know, it's, none of us were huge like metalheads or uh, none of us were tough guys by any means. So it just kind of made sense to, to take this new fun tool we had and uh, kind of mess with it and play with it on a types um, or at least during the writing process when I was still in the band. But yeah, the experiment, the experimentation, I guess you could pinpoint uh, started with uh, decoys like curves on, um, on the satellite years. And then from there, uh, kind of branched out into the next two records. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, a types, I mean, admittedly at the time when it came out, I was a hardcore fan. So I don't think I, I, I latched on to a types, you know, right away. And it definitely took sure. a while. And, uh, but you know, I, I remember just being very like blown away. I mean, you can't, you can't look at a song like Icarus and, and say that, Oh, that's a shit song because they don't, you know, scream the whole time, you know, uh, like that's, it, it takes a while, especially when people are like teenagers and they hear the satellite years and then they move on to something like a types, you know, I can, I can see how, you know, a lot of people feel, you know, betrayed or, or, or whatever. But, um, after really getting into it, I, I, I kind of started realizing that like, this is still hopeful. This is still, you know, um, th- this band has always been heavy on dynamics and so to right. go in that direction isn't necessarily out of the wheelhouse. And th- this is an adult talking, you know, <laughs> at this point, you know, right. as a kid, you don't understand that kind of stuff. You just think that, oh, they went soft. So fuck them, you know. But uh, right. But, you know, what, what, what really got me on A-Types is, just you know, I, I, after a while, I found myself humming the songs and, you know, like kind of kind of get right. into it, you know, because it was different than what I what I've been listening to before. You know, if, if I want to go listen to an album that's all screaming all the time, I don't have to go that far to find that. You know, right. but you, you exactly. do have to you do have to branch out a little bit to, to start being more accepting. And so Hope's Fall was uh, w- was part of that as far as especially with a record like a types, you know, kind of kind of challenging me to be like, you know, this is these are songs. These aren't just, you know, we're going to play this part for, you know, 28 seconds and then we're going right. to move on to this part and we're going to we're going to string it all together. And I mean, I still love right. that kind of music, but. You know, with with something like A types, it was like there was a lot more. You know, in the songwriting, uh, this idea of let's do what works better for the song, and not right. necessarily versus, like look yeah. at what I can do. Yeah, like define verses and define choruses and and stuff like that, which is what we we had never done anything like that before. All of our music up to that point was pretty linear, uh, where we didn't repeat very many parts at all it was just it was just like a line you know but then when we started writing a types yeah we you know that's when we kind of started diving into a little bit more of a, a standardy kind of okay there's the verse and here's the hooky kind of chorus and there's a bridge but yeah exactly so and at the same time um some of our favorite bands also had made that kind of transition like k-band and um, did you ever listen to a band uh, called Code Seven? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was. I mean, it was kind of inspiring to see those guys do it, and we thought, well, 
I mean, and we've seen what had happened to their fan base. And, but it was, it was never, I mean, we never wrote the music with that in mind. You know, we weren't going to sit there and write another, you know, hardcore record just because we were scared of losing fans. I mean, we wanted to be happy and we wanted to dig what we were playing. And if, if the fans wanted to come along for the ride, great. And if they didn't, well, we're prepared for that too, you know? So, um, so yeah, it's not, it was, it I mean, I can't speak much about it because I wasn't on a types, but I, I did, I was writing, I wrote, I think like eight out of the 10 songs on the album. Um, you know, we were that deep into the writing process of that before I, before I left. Interesting. So that, yeah, that's kind of the take on that. Out of curiosity, something I was thinking of today in the last couple of days as I've been listening to the back catalog as a whole in completely different kind of realms, but your, your career kind of reminds me similarly of, uh, poison the well a little bit as far as kind of like how you started to, to where the band kind of eventually ended up and left with you guys having been, you know, label mates at one point on trust kill, was that something like you kind of ever looked over and just kind of saw what the kind of how they were progressing and kind of doing all these things. And you just kind of look at it and kind of get inspired to, to kind of, yeah, this thing we're doing, this path we're going down, that's maybe not the, you know, the beaten, well-beaten path. It's okay because we have label mates like this that are doing such, and we have a label behind them and that's behind us as well. So does that kind of give you more encouragement to kind of just swing for the fences on on chasing whimsies, kind of? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's always nice to know you're not alone in doing something, you know? So <laughs> if you're going to fail, then maybe you can bring this guy down with you too, or vice versa, you know? Um, like, and that, and that kind of touches on the cave-in uh, kind of scenario too. Like, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it, I don't want to say it was affirming, but it was, it was nice to know that there were others that kind of understood why we were doing what we were doing and and they could look at us and we could look at them and go, you know, hey, we get it. This, this is why we're doing this too. You know, we're going to take this chance and we're going to, you know, stay true to what we want to play. And I know that's exactly why Poison the Well kind of took the direction they did too. And that's just, I mean, at, at some point, in any band's career, they, I mean, you're going to be faced with making that decision unless you, I mean, I don't, I, I guess I can't, I can't, I guess I can't really say that, but it's <laughs> got to at least cross your mind. I mean, you can't, most people's musical, you know, uh, preferences grow and change at least a little bit. I mean, even, even Blink-182 couldn't play, fart joke songs their entire career, you know, thank God. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, but I like yeah, that you mentioned, something. uh, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no. I mean, it's just something every band as, as they get older, you just gotta kind of, you kind of got to deal with, you know, you know, when, I mean, when, like I said, I was 17 when we started this thing. So, you know, by the time you're 22 or 23, you know, shit's a little different. So, <laughs> you, you got to kind of decide to 
either stay on that path or get off of it and try something new. So that's what we did. Yeah, I like that you mentioned Caven, you know, because that was uh, that was one of the that was one of the bands that kind of got me a little bit more on board with uh, A types. Was I was like, how do you not like A types, but you like Antenna by Caven? Right. You know, like it, you know, because obviously that record doesn't sound like Jupiter. You know, like it's one of those weird uh, weird yeah. contradictions I think that a lot of hardcore fans especially go through over time, where it's like, what do you do with your favorite hardcore band when they're not playing hardcore? You know. And uh, right. Caven is like absolutely the textbook example of that, you know. And uh, you know, I, I definitely found a lot of uh, similarities and stuff that I liked between uh, and the Antenna record and uh, A Types. And so, at that point, you know, once I once I made that realization personally, I was like, okay, well, I'm obviously on board. And because I, I don't think I would have been able to get on board with a record like Magnetic unless I had that kind of clarity, you know. Um, that I think I think music fans make music too complicated, in the sense that we hit, right. you know when we hear a band that we love and they do this certain thing, you know there's this expectation there that this band is always going to do that one thing that I love, but you know it turns out that you know people are actual you know th- this isn't just a band it's not some faceless entity, you know so like th- this is really just a group of guys or girls you know like it's just a group of people, and you know what what they come up with is what they come up with and to, to sit there and say well you didn't do this thing you know that i like so much you know and and, yeah. and now i hate you you know like it's a weird contradiction so i think i think with you leaving after uh, after satellite and the going into a type and kind of seeing seeing the the success i guess or, or you know of that record after you're out of the band i mean how did that how did that really uh how, how did that affect you as far as uh was there was there any regret there in in leaving the band or was it you know obviously we don't have to get like super personal on that but like just uh you know was there any kind of like feeling of like you knew the record was going to kind of be received the way it was or you know were there were there any worries or concerns you had um i mean i mean yeah honestly yes i mean you don't want to quit a band and then watch them you know just skyrocket into you know, some kind of famous money, you know, pulling machine. (laughs) But I mean, there was always, you know, there was always that, but I mean, at the same time, uh, I, I didn't, I mean, I did not, I was not jealous or envious of the touring that they were going to have to do. That was, that was a big thing also. Um, grueling. I mean, yeah, we, uh, we spent so long on the road, uh, pushing satellite years. And, um, but you know, I, I knew it was going to be a good album. I mean, I know those guys and I, I mean, I wrote, I wrote half, you know, over half the record with them and I knew what it was going to sound like and I knew it was going to sound great, but I was also just kind of, honestly, I mean, I, I just kind of had this new life uh, with my job and with a, a new girlfriend that I had just, you know, gotten who previously I, I had just lost a girlfriend to due to too much traveling. And it was kind of a, I hate to say a girl had a lot to do with it, but I mean, it kind of did. I mean, it was a kind of a culmination of being sick of being on the road and, just 
I don't know, just the thought of, okay, we're getting ready to record this record and then we're going to have to start this tour machine back up for another year. And I've just started this new relationship with this girl that at the time I was just like, this is the best thing in the world, you know, new relationships, young love, you know, it was was all exciting. And I remembered what happened to my last relationship because of all the touring. And it was just, it was just a time that I thought, you know, we're changing up the sound. I, I don't know how it's going to be perceived. I know there's going to be a ton of touring involved. Uh, and, you know, I just made a decision that I think I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to stay here in Charlotte and go on with this new life. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I never, I wish them the best and I, you know, I wanted them to, to go on and succeed. I mean, I never, no one ever thought it was going to be a, you know, they were going to be the next smashing pumpkins or anything like that. So, but you know, um, I, I don't, there's certain parts of me that regret it, but certain parts of me that, you know, it was, it was a good time for me at the time to get out and, to be able to come back to now and put out this new record. I mean, it was kind of like having my cake and eating it too. You know, I got to get out for a while, but at the same time, I got to come back and I got to do this, you know? So, um, it all worked out. I guess is the long way of saying all this. Yeah. And we're glad to have you back for sure. I mean, it was definitely, um, it's definitely one of those things where there, there's a certain trueness to the to the to the modern hopes fall lineup, and I, I, you know, really, as a fan, could not have you know what I mean. Like there, there was literally no hesitation on the hit the pre-order button, you know, order the vinyl, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I hadn't even I hadn't even listened to the song yet, <laughs> and I was like, no, oh, this, <laughs> this is fine, you know. Uh, that that's just that's the life of a super fan. But no, I definitely I feel you on the on the touring and stuff because like. This is 2002. This is before. This is this is literally right before hardcore, or you know, um, like you know, music was screaming in it. There's no better term for it. Uh, that was before that could pay the bills. Exactly. You know, that that right. wasn't you know that wasn't what the average person was 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 looking for at that time. I mean, the hardcore fans are great, but there's not necessarily enough of them for all of you guys to, to, to pay your bills and live a life on the road. That's enjoyable, you know? And, uh, I think that that was, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I just think that, you know, like I, I totally feel you and I, you know, don't blame anybody with the, with the hundreds of bands, you know, that we've covered on our show and and that sort of thing. It's one of those, like, it's one of the, it's, it's kind of a common theme that, you know, if if it's, if it's pre 2004 and you're playing hardcore, it, it doesn't, you weren't you weren't doing it other for anything other than the love of the music, you know, <laughs> like and that's exactly. Not, exactly. And that's not realistic, you know, as far as paying bills, you know, um, I thought, you know, when I was in my first band that, you know, we were going to just tour all the time and, you know, that we were going to be great and all this stuff. And then it was one of those like, oh, wait, I actually had the opposite experience in that we we entered a market that was super over oversaturated with bands like that. And uh that's what that's what John's been alluding to about, you know, when we did our Hope's Fall episode on our podcast was that, you know, uh, there was a time where the market was saturated with bands that, for lack of a better term, like sounded like Hope's Fall, you know, sounded like 
you know, they, they, they did, they did the melodic dissonant, you know, passionate scream thing. And I'm sure it was great for all those bands. I mean, I know I ripped it off, you know, in my band, I try, we were trying to sound as much as, <laughs> as much like the satellite years as we could, you know, and, right. and get away with right. and, you know, throw some under oath in there. Cause that's what the girls like. And, you know, just, just go <laughs> in, into that sort of stuff. And, um, did you have guy? That, I did not, but, uh, <laughs> that's, you know, that show's not about that, but yeah, it's one of those, like, <laughs> you know, like I, I could totally, whenever, whenever I hear that, that like, yeah, you know, it was great. And I love doing it, but at the same time, you know, it's, uh, it, it's not paying the bills and you're kind of putting your life on hold, so to speak in order, in order to do this. And that's, that's got to take a toll on any human being. Right. Well, yeah, pretty much. So we've kind of talked about everything in, in the band that you had been involved up in and up to the band, you know, kind of eventually fizzling out. Let's kind of talk about the reunion for a little bit. Uh, you know, something actually that's been very interesting in listening back to the the discussion that Dan and everyone had on their podcast was, you know, just the time that you guys were around, the internet wasn't what it is now to where you have like all these DVDs that accompany everything. Like, you know, you made the mention about how you posted something from uh, on YouTube a long time ago. And just thinking about how long ago you posted that, that we just don't have a lot of content for, for Hope's Fall as far as like behind the scenes stuff and, and so forth. So how how did the reunion come to be? And something, you know, to piggyback off of that that I wanted to know was what was the process in figuring out was it going to be with Doug or is it going to be with Jay or was there ever a potential that you were going to do kind of like an evening with and have both vocalists kind of trading off songs? Um, and you're talking about the 2011 show with Harvard? Yeah. Or... Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Some people are calling this a reunion uh, oh, thing well. that we're doing now. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, but yeah, the, um, that came to be because our, our good buddies, Code 7, who I talked about earlier, right? Um, they had decided that they were going to play a couple reunion shows. Um, and they were just uh, about an hour, hour and a half down the road from us in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, is where they live. And um, there was a club that we used to play a bunch back in the day with them called Ziggy's. And... Um, it had closed down for years and Ziggy's was reopening at a new location. And they thought, well, you know, this would be cool if we, if code seven could come back and, you know, play one of the opening, the, the reopening shows for this club that we love so much, you know? And then they contacted us and was like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do a reunion show. We'd love to have you guys play too. And we were just like, well, let's I, we don't really thought about it Let, let's talk to the guys about it and um you know we decided okay yeah we can do this but like you said who do we use you know and um we were just kind of thinking you know well it's code seven and those are the guys we played with back in the late 90s and um so let's make it an old school thing you know and also someone it dawned on somebody that the time of the show was going to be like right around the like 10 year or something anniversary of the no wings to speak of EP. So we're like, let's make it, let's just, let's just kind of tie that in with it. So we kind of were like, well, let's do no wings to speak of lineup, you know, which was Doug and not Jay. And, um, and then let's just play no wing songs and frailty of word stuff. 
and just make it like since Code Seven's back and we're back and we're playing shows together, it feels like 1999. Let's keep the songs that way, you know. So we kept, we kind of just kept it old school that way. And plus, Jay lived in Chicago, still lives in Chicago, so it was just easier to get Doug because he still lives here in Charlotte. And um, so we just kind of went with that lineup and with that vibe of play the old stuff from back in the day when we used to play with code seven we used to play it ziggies and that's just kind of how we decided on that when the show i mean i know i had friends and, and someone that we mutually know via social media austin keen from mind over matter records um i know he and a handful of people from up here made the trip down to go see that show so i mean like you have fans coming from all over the world to come see this reunion show when you get done playing a show like that where the intensity and the vibe in the room is just so palpable. Like, does it make you immediately just kind of go like, shit, maybe there's something still here. Like, let's, uh, like, do you immediately kind of start talking like within a day or so, like a text message goes out in the thread and you're just like, so are we doing this again? Or, you know, what are we doing? Or is there a little bit of a, you know, kind of a hesitation to maybe jump back into it? Um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think after the show we were really like, I mean, we knew what the, the two shows were and that we knew that was it. You know, it was just a fun, nostalgic thing. And I don't think any of us had any plans really to carry on with that, you know? Um, but before the show or leading up to the show, me and Josh and Dustin were already playing, uh, on a weekly basis. Um, on and off just writing music, which would eventually end up on this record that we're putting out. So it's, uh, it was kind of, it was kind of crazy to look back on it now, just talking with you because when those hopes hall reunions came up, you know, we, we were already writing to what we didn't even know was going to be, another Hope Saw record. We were just at a point in our lives where the three of us just decided, Hey, do you still have your gear? Yeah, I do. <laughs> you got yours? Sure. Uh, hey, y'all just want to drink some beers and play and just kind of write. And yeah, let's do it. Cool. You know, we don't, we have no plans with this stuff, but let's just, we're just doing it to do it because we missed it. And it was good to see each other for, you know, once a week and, drink some beers and play some music. And then, and then that's when we got approached with the, the whole reunion show thing. So we played the, you know, we kind of put that on hold, um, you know, the writing and stuff because then we had to rehearse with the other band members to do this reunion show. But, you know, we played the two reunion shows. They were what they were. They were a lot of fun. And when it was over, it was over. And then we all just kind of settled back into, what we were doing and it was, yeah, I mean, it, it didn't really, I wouldn't say it, it, you know, if you're digging to see if that spurred anything, you know, th what's happening now, I would say no, not really. It Cause it was kind of already like happening. Yeah. No. So at what point then, I mean, like you said, you guys were just jamming on material that would eventually become what this new record is. So at what point do you all collectively sit down and just kind of realize like, shit, I think this is a new Hope's Fall record. Like, 
you know, like, is there that discussion or is it just, again, like kind of how everything has been throughout the whole career of the band? Is it just kind of something that naturally happened? And it's like, yeah, I think this is the Hope Swall record. Like, I think it, it feels good to, to put that name on it and, and let's kind of move forward with, in that direction. Um, it, uh, it, it kind of, I mean, we didn't, we didn't really sit down and have that discussion about, is this a new Hope Star record until we had about four songs recorded uh, or written and that we went to a friend's house, um, who, you know, could record us pretty well, well enough to, so we could play back and listen to what we were doing and go, that's neat, you know, and we could give it to somebody to try vocals out on or something like that. And, um, you know, we ended up eventually, me and Josh went to uh, Chicago for a Shiner reunion show. And that's when we, we stayed with Jay uh, that weekend. And we had four of our songs recorded. And we were, you know, we gave them to him. And we're like, man, uh, we don't know what this is, but this is just some stuff we've been playing. Would you be interested on in doing vocal, you know, or putting vocals on this? You know, and he was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. So, I mean, even at that point, um, we weren't thinking Hope's Hall record. We were just, we were just, this is, here's music that we wrote. Would you kind of finish it up for us? Would you put some vocals on it? And it was never a, it was never a plan, you know, like it was never a step-by-step process to us getting to where we wanted to get. It was just a, man, we, we love this stuff that we wrote. We want to hear it with vocals just for our own, you know, enjoyment. And so after, you know, he kind of demoed out those songs, that's when um, we, were, we were kind of thinking, well, what should we call this? And we all kind of agreed, like, let's just, let's just name it something new, you know? And, uh, you know, we just started tossing around band ideas, you know, band names and stuff like that. And Josh, at one point, uh said you know we should we should re-record these songs uh you know just get them sounding even better and um he suggested that um maybe we could get a deal with uh mike watts the guy who did a types and magnetic north um you know because they still they still kept in contact and uh they just loved the guy so much and sounded like they had a really good relationship uh so Josh is like, let me talk to Mike and see if, uh, see if we could just come up there for like a weekend, you know, to Long Island or something in his studio, if he can carve out some time for us. And, uh, we'll just, you know, maybe he'll hook us up and we can get a, a good price on recording these four songs and we'll put out a little EP, you know, under some new band name. And we are like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. So, um, so Josh gave the, the four song EP or the demo to, to Mike Watts and Mike, was like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'd love to record this. Um, but do you mind if I show it to somebody or a couple people and, you know, maybe we can get something worked out where you don't have to spend your own money here. And, uh, we're like, okay, you know, cool. If you think anybody, you know, is willing to, to pay for it or to put it out, that'd be great. You know? And that's, um, that he called us back like a couple days later and he said, um, Dan and Will from Equal Vision and Graphic Nature Records are interested in doing something with this. And so that's like right then and there is when it became a, 
okay, what are, what's the plans here? You know, we were, we never really had plans up until that point. It was just kind of, you know, just doing what we were doing on the, when we weren't working or with our families that we could carve out a little bit of time and just play music. So as soon as, you know, a record label came in, we kind of started taking things, you know, a little more seriously and with a little bit more, um, you know, mindfulness that this could be, uh, this could be something cool and it could be a really great opportunity to have another chance at, at doing a record, uh, which we never thought uh, was something that we were going to be doing again. So we just seized the opportunity and we started writing six more songs and then it just kind of all came together. So were you surprised at the reaction that you got? You know, cause it sounds like, and obviously besides the reunion, you guys were, um, kind of out of it for some time. You were doing your own thing. Was it surprising to you what the fan reaction was based on how it had been when A, when you had exited the band and B, you know, when the band ended up breaking up after Magnetic North, was there kind of this like, kind of like, oh, wow, I, I didn't know anybody cared. Was was there a little bit of that uh, whenever it whenever it kind of came to fruition? Absolutely. I I mean, yeah, I kind of thought Hope's Hall was a name that had died and, and, you know, was gone and that, you know, we just weren't, it just, we were just weren't relevant anymore. And I mean, I knew that what we were playing sounded good to me and it sounded good to the guys. So, I mean, we thought that maybe there'd be some people out there that, you know, we, we, we thought that we could at least get our name or our foot in the door with, with the name, uh, you know, keeping the name hopes fall and that, you know, that might go ahead and, you know, get some of our older fans to, to give us a, a listen to, but um, yeah, I was really shocked that there were still enough people out there that were still interested in what we were, what we were trying to do. So yeah. Yeah, and that couldn't have been more telling whenever you guys reissued the the back catalog, you know, on vinyl, you know, how how quickly oh, right. that sold out cuz man, by the time I found out about it and I was a diehard Hope's Fall fan, but I I for whatever reason I just missed the bus on that and didn't end up getting to pick those up, but it was uh crazy to me that like I had just found out about it and the reissues hadn't been live for long, you know, and it was one of those like, oh wow, they're they're sold out they're gone like not only are there that many hopes fall fans out there clamoring for this new record but there's also a whole bunch of vinyl collectors out there i mean that's got to be like right you know yeah. total nirvana for you dude yeah that 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 took us all by complete surprise um i remember that day that they went up uh you know online to, for sale um that day we were getting um like hourly kind of up-to-date, uh, you know, numbers by the record label. Like we sold this many, we sold that many. And I'm like, what the hell? And then like, <laughs> before you know it, they're like, okay, satellite years is gone. And I'm like, what? Like, cause they were already, 
there's already a thousand copies out there in the world on vinyl of the first pressing of satellite years. So honestly, I thought, I thought if any of them were going to sell well, it was going to be a types of magnetic, magnetic North because this is their first time on vinyl, you know? And I already knew that satellite years had already had a pressing of a thousand. So anybody who wanted that, uh, already, you know, has it in my opinion, you know? So, that was just, yeah, that was a crazy day. I think everybody, even the label, uh, was just kind of blown away. And I think had they known that reaction would have been how it was going to be, they would have obviously pressed more. I think a lot of money was left on the table on their end. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a question, kind of speaking to the vinyl and just kind of everything you know, about this new record. And I'll preface by asking, it's a two-part question, as most of my questions are. So I'll preface by starting by saying this. You know, we've already talked about how technology wasn't what it is now back when you guys started. So the first part of the question is, you know, coming to be a band now, getting ready to work on, you know, an album release, a promotional cycle, all that kind of stuff. What has changed about the music industry that you've noticed, you know, all these years later? But more kind of to the point... You know, you're talking about how you, you know, were pressing vinyl, the back catalog, you're pressing vinyl of the new record. You, you know, in a day and age where so much information gets leaked between pressing factories, all this kind of stuff, like, you know, I'm sure you follow the same blogs and stuff that tell you about like bootleg stuff and stuff that's coming out that no one's aware of and all that. How were you guys able to keep this a secret as long as you did that? You know, Hope's Wall is back. We got a new record. We're signed. We're, you know, I mean, the leeway time for vinyl itself is typically about five to six months. So, I mean, that's that's a long time to be able to keep a record or keep a secret from so many people. Like, I'm kind of surprised that it didn't get leaked at any point. Huh. Interesting. Well, yeah. Um, okay. For the first part of the question, yeah. Uh, doing the whole band thing now versus when it was, uh, pre-social media is completely different. Uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around all that. I mean, I enjoy social media and I've always enjoyed it just for fun, you know, um, especially Instagram, just for posting pictures and stuff. But there's, I mean, there's these crazy guidelines and formulas and, uh, you know, when the ideal time to post or to make a post is on and, just it's it's just a lot more involved than it used to be uh coming up I mean, we didn't have to do anything except <laughs> play shows but, you know back in the day so yeah but yeah so i'm i'm still i'm still trying to uh i'm still trying to figure out social media as a as a business platform versus the way i've been using it which is just for fun and I, I still, I'd, I'd honestly, I'd rather just kind of wash my hands of the business aspect of it and just do the fun stuff. But, um, and as far as the, uh, keeping it a secret, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I, we did a, I did a good job of that. I mean, I, they've been, this has been, this has been in the process for since before the reunion shows in 2011, you know, and, there'd be nights where I'd be excited about, uh, you know, some of the practices that, that me and Josh and Dustin had even before Jay was in it, you know, and I, 
I'd get drunk and I'd go on like a Hope Hawk, you know, Facebook fan page and I'd, I'd be like, oh, something's coming or blah, 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 or, you know, or <laughs> even before we'd, you know, I would, and then I'd take it down. Like I, I was, I, I'd get bad about that there for a while, I, but I got excited and I, I just wanted people to know that, that we were working on stuff again, even if it wasn't Hope Saw, it was three of the guys that were in the band, you know? So, um, but I guess I was just talking to maybe, maybe like a hundred people back then or whatever, but yeah, it, it, it is kind of crazy now that you, that you mentioned it because I haven't really thought about it, but yeah, I guess it was a pretty, pretty well-kept secret. Um, that I guess the label just did a really good job of just kind of keeping it close to their chest on that one. But, um, I'm glad it's out now because <laughs> I would, I would have leaked it by now for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's it, like, there's still nights where I'm like, like a couple bourbons in and I'm just like, I'm going to, I'm going to post some of this artwork. And then I'll be like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh no, I, no, I better not do that. I'll get a phone call, you know, or something. But so what we're saying yeah. is we should check your page, like literally every 10 minutes just to right, get, yeah, you know, night, yeah. yeah. yeah you go. <laughs> or just, just take me out to like a bar and like start feeding me beer. Done. I, I'll just give you a record. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> No, I'm 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 being patient with mine. I, I definitely pre-ordered uh, oh, I, pretty I tried, much. I tried to get it yesterday. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you I did. know. I was like, I was like, dude, if he gives it to you, that'd be great. But yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm I'm excited. I mean, it's I've waited so much longer now than I have to wait. You know, uh, you know, until right. it comes out. So I mean, I'm 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 patient enough. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely exciting and. Um, just the content. I mean, when, you know, whenever I heard the new single and, you know, I was definitely taken right back, you know what I mean? To, to right where I left off with the band. And it's crazy to me here, hearing you say that, like, you know, that we weren't even sure if this was a hopes fall thing. And it's like, well, I mean, shit. I mean, once you brought Jay back on, I mean, who else could it be? You know, like it was one of those, right. uh, you know, because yeah, we, we joked about how he was the new guy or, you know, whatever. But like, I mean, as a Hopes Fall fan now in 2018, it's hard to imagine anything coming out with the band without Jay on it, you know? Uh, and so it's, you know, he, he definitely carved out his own place uh, in, in the band sound over the, over the course of, you know, the last three records. So it definitely, um, whenever I heard, you know, that, that Jay was in it, I, you know, you were back on board. I was very much like, dude, I, I, I literally have no complaints. And uh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really exciting to see how, uh, you know, how it turns out, you know, um, that's, that, that's as much fanboying as I've got in me, but you know, I just, uh, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't be more excited. And, uh, poor John, I'm just like, he's, you know, he's, he's studying up and listening to stuff. And I'm like, did you listen to this record yet? Did you listen to this record yet? You know, did, you, did you hear oh, satellite? Man. Did you hear, you know, did you hear a type? Did you hear magnetic? You know, like, Hey man, you better go back and listen to no wings. You know, like it was, uh, probably, <laughs> probably really frustrating for him. But, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think it's going to be really exciting to see, uh, to see what happens with this record. Yeah. And, it's uh, exciting I'll, to, it, yeah, it's exciting to be dropping it, man. Like, believe me, I, I wish this thing was coming out tomorrow, you know, or at least another song being released or something. But I, 
the the response that we've gotten from the single um is has really calmed my nerves about how this album will will hopefully be perceived because we chose that song because it it's pretty much um the perfect representation of the rest of the the songs on the album so i can't imagine the people who are loving this new song not loving the rest of the record it's not like we're not doing like a uh a bait and switch kind of thing it's you know we're not this isn't like a uh a movie trailer where we're showing you all the best action scenes and then the rest of the movie when you get it is just boring you know we feel like that we really feel like this song is just very representational of what is the the other nine tracks that are on it. So we're excited that everyone else is excited. And we think that that's only going to get better when, when everybody hears the rest of the songs. Right. I mean, cause then if you, if you guys were going to do a bait and switch, you would have put the screamiest song on, you know what I mean? You would have, you would have put a song, you know, <laughs> out there that, you know, would have sounded like satellite or sounded, you know what I mean? Like something really, really safe. So I was really, right. um, I was really impressed with, with the single that was chosen. Cause I was like, yeah, this is it. This is, uh, this is the band that, you know, disappeared on me, you know, in 08 <laughs> and, and, and here, here they are again in, in all the glory. And, uh, yeah, man, I, it's the new single is great. I can't wait to hear the record. And, uh, if I keep talking, I'm just going to keep saying that over and over again. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. I, I think the most encouraging thing about reading some of the comments and hearing some of the feedback is that, um, m- most often the thing that's brought up is that we've retained our sound and that was, that's kind of the most flattering, uh, most important, uh, you know, review from, from what I read from people that I take most to heart because I felt like we've always kind of had a signature sound and I've always, this, this whole time we've been writing this record and recording it. I've always known it to be there, but I was always kind of hoping that the fans that had been with us for, you know, through the records would also pick up on that. And it blew me away that so many people made a point to, to mention that the sound is still there. That hopes all sound that like, it's like we hadn't even gone anywhere, you know, kind of thing. When you hear other, you know, bands that are making comebacks or that haven't been around for a while and they put something out, it's, they kind of, they kind of lack something from their, their earlier days that leave the, the fans kind of wanting something a little bit more. And, um, it was just, it, it was nice to hear that, that we've retained that sound and that, that, that's exciting to me. Um, I'm glad people picked up on it. So, that's encouraging. So, uh, something else I wanted to, to kind of talk about uh, with you on and with Daniel on is our mutual love of all things vinyl and collecting. So, yes. something that I are you okay? I, I don't think I, I know this about either of you. Are you guys completionists, or are you just you know if I have one of the record and I have like the full discography, that's that's enough for me. Uh, Dan, you want to take that? Sure. Uh, you know, for me, it's more, 
Yeah, I mean, I would I'd say that when I started collecting vinyl, I mean, like the first thing for me was to collect all the Zayo records, you know, and collect all the you know um, Hope's Hall records. Although I haven't succeeded in that yet, but uh, I'll get there. Damn it! Uh, but <laughs> it's one of those. Uh, no, I'm definitely like if I've got the CD, I still want the vinyl. Um, for me, there's just there's a certain attraction to vinyl and the artwork. You know, um, I, I've always been a huge a huge fan of of artwork. And for me, you know, just the concept of having that that giant vinyl record there, the you know, and and having that artwork, and you know, almost even like buying two copies of a record so you can frame one and put it on your wall, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, for me, the 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 aesthetics of it are extremely pleasing. So, um, I've definitely like a lot of my a lot of my vinyl collection is definitely like repeats of stuff that I already have. Uh, but there there is a certain measuring stick that I use whenever I'm looking for vinyl. And uh, the first thing is, is, you know, do I have it, number one? And number two, do I love it? You know, like, for me for me to have it on a vinyl record, because, I mean, vinyl's expensive, you know, especially if you're looking for, for older stuff or you're looking for rare stuff. You know, like, I think that for, for me, it's just always been kind of, I, I have to love it. And the fact that I have it on vinyl kind of makes a statement of how I feel about that record. And mm-hmm. so... Um, you know, I definitely, uh, definitely recollect a lot of stuff. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be satisfied with just getting the new Hope's Fall record on vinyl. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, eventually end up paying that eBay price or if the band uh, re-releases the, the songs or re-releases the albums on vinyl, you know, I'll definitely be a day one on that. I'm doing the same thing with Zayo. I just bought their uh, All Else Failed record that came out years ago and they're reissuing that. And, you know, um, so I'm really, I'm really big on that. And, if part of your question too was, you know, does it have to be an original vinyl release? For me, I'm going to say no. Um, I'm okay with it, even though I know a lot of the vinyl that comes out now is just like, it's basically just the CD, you know, put on vinyl uh, with all of its compression and all that stuff. But I've never been like a huge audiophile, so I mean, I can appreciate vinyl records that were mixed for vinyl. I mean, I'd be, clearly they sound better. Like there's a noticeable, a noticeable difference there. But uh, I'm not. I'm not super worried about it because for me, I think part of it is just the aesthetics of it. Right. And I'm not, I'm not really a completist when it comes to, um, um, you know, owning every album by my favorite, you know, by my favorite bands or, or owning every variant. I'm not a variant collector. Um, I don't have the money for that, but <laughs> I, not yet. I'm, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll wait for that album to drop and then just sit back and collect it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Keep a couple of copies for right. yourself. Sell them. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a, yeah. So it, I've never felt like I needed to own a record just to make um, my series complete of their discography or anything like that. If, I mean, if there's a, if there's a band I love, but an album of theirs that just didn't really do it for me, I have no problem not, owning that one um i think the only the only album and the only band that i've ever actually like gone completely complete us for you know very you know collecting all the variants and all their albums is shiner because i love that band so much i was gonna say i should put you in touch with josh josh newton yeah uh we've talked a couple times i like to think that uh I like to think that I'm the reason he ended up in every time I die. Oh, please but, tell uh, that story. Cause that is like my favorite band. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I can't confirm it, but we used to tour with those guys a lot. And um, I'm pretty certain that I showed Shiner to those guys, especially Andy Williams. And uh, I think Jordan ended up really liking them. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, like, I, I dude, I'm a Shiner fanboy. Like, I would carry like a, like a little binder of <laughs> all the lyrics like in chronological order for each record and god i mean i would just like i would i would annoy keith uh buckley you know he'd ride with us to some cities and some some of our guys would ride with them but i'd be like what do you think he what do you think he means in this song and i'd be flipping through my binder and he'd be like man i don't know I could tell. I mean, looking back, it's just embarrassing. But I, I, <laughs> I like, I fanned out on Shiner. Still do. But, uh, but yeah, I, and then, you know, years go by and, uh, they're playing in our hometown and Josh Newton is playing bass with them. I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, Andy. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, Josh is playing bass with us now. And I'm like, you, oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, so. That's I mean, awesome. I'm, I don't know if I can take credit for that, but... In the day and age of the there, internet, there a, until you can change it on Wikipedia, take credit for all of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, I'm... Okay, so, yeah, I'm not a completist, except if it has to do with Shiner, then, yeah, I'm, I'm buying it. Awesome. What about you, John? Um, I am a completist in the sense that, uh, it, you know, like, I have a handful of bands that I've completed everything every time I actually take it back. I don't have uh, the, and the only way it came in was through the uh, box set, the every time I die uh, last night in town. That's the only one I don't have on vinyl, but it only comes in that box set. But I have all of their records. Uh, Deftones, I have everything. I'm still waiting for them to continue the live series that they started on record store day, like four years ago. Uh, yeah. So, so far right. we're only at adrenaline and that's probably my least favorite sounding record of theirs, but um, and then from there, um, I have most of the corn records. I have everything up to issues, uh, and I have the newest record, but I don't really like the other records. So I just like to think that the band stopped at that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> Deftones, obviously, like I said, are a big one. Um, and then it's just kind of like weird stuff, like, uh, the other completion things I've almost completed my roots, uh, discography, um, which is tough because they're like Pearl Jam where they release bootlegs of some of their live stuff, which gets really right. gets really ha- awkward when you're like, oh, there's this cool one I don't have, but I also don't want to spend $60 for this European bootleg. Uh, it's expensive. <laughs> sure does. And then the other exactly. one that I've almost completed, I have every all the Kanye's and I have almost all the Jay-Z stuff. So I have some stuff where oh, wow. it's, it's mostly completed. Um, and most of the Foo Fighters, I think I'm missing two of their records at this point. Damn, John, you're diverse. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's I mean, that's kind of the fun thing too. Like, uh, I almost want to go back to Charlotte just to go to Lunchbox Records because I was able to find uh, Refuse, uh, yeah. Fan the Flames, The Discontent on vinyl for like, I think it was ten bucks. Um, and then I picked Damn. up. Damn. That's where I actually picked up the uh, Good City, Bad Summer or Cruel Summer uh, mixtape that Kanye dropped on a bootleg vinyl. <laughs> was there and the person was just like i don't think i've ever seen someone buy refused and kanye west at the same time 
You're like, hey, man, it's hard to breathe in this box you're putting me in. (laughs) But, I mean, that's kind of the fun thing. Like, my wife and I really love going when we go travel uh, to go to a lot of different record stores and just kind of seeing different places. Uh, Like, when we went to Seattle, I think one of my – I mean, the only record store we went to was uh, Sonic Boom. But it's just interesting to see how different people kind of curate their their vinyl, what they have, the the stories people like to tell. I mean, it's just – I don't know. There's something about it, and there's something about the the vinyl community – that at times it can definitely be pretentious, um, but it's one of those things where I, I think it's it's just very interesting to see how far it's come in the last handful of years. Granted, Record Store Day for me hasn't been anything worth a shit in the last probably two years. Uh, it seems to have gone away from what it started to be, which was you know very exclusive things. I don't know how many reissues of the Led Zeppelin discography I need at this point, Uh all of them? <laughs> no. And so it's one of those where That's... I feel like when I see the list now, every like the last couple of years, I'm like, why do we need this again? Why not give this to smaller bands? Why not give this to bands who never press something on vinyl? Like your weight like it already clouds clogs up the vinyl thing as a whole for bands when they have new records coming out. So why are we wasting the time putting out shit that already exists in two, three, four, five different pressings and variants? Like that just seems like a waste. I don't know if anyone else feels that way about Record Store Day recently. No, I agree. Totally. And cassettes. I I don't understand this trend either. I mean, at least with vinyl, they've kind of figured out how to solve the problem that they had with vinyl warping and all that stuff back in the day. But with cassettes, it still warps from playing. So other than just a weird nostalgia thing, I don't really understand the new fad or refascination with that. Well, I don't have a new fascination, but old really just old albums on cassette for me what about you i know you guys are releasing uh the album on cassette for the i think your first time having something on cassette yeah <laughs> like i said it's uh it's amusing it's a little confusing and it's a little exciting <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> i mean if someone wants to put it on cassette that's great and i'll i'd love to have a copy but I don't know what I'll ever do with it, but it's neat that it exists. Do you guys have to listen to like a press, like a like a test press of sorts for the cassette as well? Um, uh, if we do, I have not. But <laughs> I would have. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I definitely signed off on the the vinyl test press. And how many nah, of those we had to listen to? Can I get one? Oh man, I don't know. I don't know how many exist. Uh, I think I'm the only one in the band that got one, but who knows how many they made for for the label and other people. Uh, you can give it to John, out. the guy that didn't yeah, just, start with frailty words. This podcast I'll be happy with the one I get in the mail. This podcast has garnered yeah. <laughs> one test press so far from uh, people coming on the podcast, so at least I have one. <laughs> who was it? Uh, it was actually Nate from Finch, uh, his new band, Private Lives. They sent me a test press because uh, oh. I was talking with Daryl from Glassjaw and mentioned him, and he was like, oh, I love Nate and Ivy and blah, 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 blah. And then I mentioned that he was doing this new thing and thought it'd be it's very sort of in the same vein as like tape and color film that he had kind of been working on with Keith and his own thing. And he was like, oh, mm-hmm. really? And I was like, yeah, maybe you should reach back out and try to do a collaboration on like that thing uh, between the two of you and so I mentioned that to, to uh, Ivy, and she was like, I told Nate, and he was like, oh, he's getting a test press. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Nice. 
Um, well, I think that's kind of run the gamut of everything at this point. Um, so let's let's plug the new album, the pre-sales, if you if you know the link or any of that, and uh, socials for the band and uh, all all those fun things. All right, yeah. Um, there's still some records up for pre-order. Uh, I think the latest variant that's available is limited to a hundred to let me think. 250. Yeah. Limited to 250. Uh, and you can get those at hopesfall.merchnow.com. Um, you know, follow us on Instagram, hopesfall, Twitter, hopesfall and Facebook hopesfall. We recently got all, we recently got all the handles, uh, for social media to be just our name. Uh, people kind of just offered up their, they were using the name hopesfall for their own reasons. And, uh, so yeah, we recently got those. So that was, that was a minor victory in the world of social media. And I'm rambling like a motherfucker. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, what else? Yeah. Arbiter comes out. The new album comes out in July. Uh, we're playing two shows in New York in July. The first so- show is sold out. So we added another one. And from what I hear, that one is selling very quickly. And we have a show the following week in our hometown of Charlotte. And I think there's still a few tickets left for that one. And that's in July as well. Um, and then can we expect a full tour if, behind this record? There are no plans right now for a full tour. So, uh, there, honestly, there are no plans right now for any of the shows other than the three that we have planned right now. Um, it's not to say we're not going to do any more, but, there, you know, we are also, you know, we are family men, we are career men, and it's not not as easy to do the extensive touring as it was when we were younger. So um, I'm going to say, if you want to see us, definitely take the opportunities um, as they come, because the days of going out for 30 days at a time are done. So, um Yeah. But yeah, I think Ex- that's about exclusivity, it. Exclusivity, um, man. Yeah, right. It's like vinyl. Less is more. <laughs> <laughs> we have exactly. a we have a rare pressing of our tour dates. We're only doing three. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Right. And uh, yeah, it looks like I got the pink black variant coming. I was just looking at my uh, yeah my receipt, and yeah, that's awesome. I like that one. That one turned out well. And then uh, lastly, I always like to end these episodes with a song. So what would you like me to play the episode out to? Any song? Any song, as long as I can find it on YouTube. Oh, wow. Well, since I've been gushing about Shiner so much, um, let's stick with that and let's do do a song called Dirty Jazz, uh, which is a B-side or... uh, yeah, it was a B-side off their last album that they put out uh, called The Egg. And it's a phenomenal. So yeah, Dirty Jazz by Shiner. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, chat with us tonight. Hopefully it wasn't too bad. Oh, dude, thank you so much, man. And I, I apologize. I can I can ramble at times. I'm I think you're in the boat with two other people who do just the same. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. That's, we just do it. We just do it and let people hear it. You know, that's that's our thing. <laughs> right. We're like weird <laughs> cuckolds. We... <laughs> oh man! Uh, come on, I had to make a wow. dirty joke somewhere in there. <laughs> wow. 
Well, Adam, don't be a stranger, man. I might uh, I might send you something on the on a uh, on our podcast uh, later on. It'll be a little bit different, though. I'll probably ask you to pick a band, and we'll talk about that band for an hour. It'd be be fun. Absolutely, I would love to. So be prepared for it to be Shiner. It's going to be Shiner, You're right? Probably. Yeah. It's going to be Shiner or Cigarettes. So hey, I'm down. Yeah. I'm down with both, man. I love Cigarettes so much. Oh my god. Yes. Yeah, talking about talk about vi- vinyl collecting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I'd awesome. love to be a completist on them, but I just don't have the cash. But yeah, I feel I know you. what you're saying. What is? I guess we'll end on this last question. What is your most prized record that you have in your collection for both of you? Doesn't have to necessarily Ooh. have to have monetary value, just for you personally. Oh, Dan's Dan's hands are in his head. <laughs> Jeez. Hold on, man. Like if there was a fire, like yeah, it'd be the one record a, I could yep. grab. Yeah. I mean, I, I immediately think of like maybe my test press for satellite years, uh, just because that was a record I was on, and it's you know it's a test press. Those are pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um. God, I don't know, man. That's a that's a good one. Dan. Uh, Dan, yeah, come on. Oh, shit, come on. Uh, well, I've been thinking about it, and I guess I probably would go with my City of the Caterpillar or City of Caterpillar self-titled record is probably the one that I would rescue from the flames. Hmm. What about you, John? It's a toss-up between... Uh, they're both test presses, but it's a toss-up between my one of five approved test presses of the reissue that Ross did from Enjoy the Ride, shameless plug, uh, of the Corn first uh, album test press. Or my Harvard, the inevitable, and I test press, just because there was a uh, the, oh wow. Lee, Lee ended up doing some really cool uh, artwork on the for like the reissue, and it just kind of looks really cool. Um, and I had him sign it too, so like the original band before Garrett ended up leaving and all that, so like it's kind of a little bit special, more special since uh, it was the band that actually recorded it, not the the final version of the band. Right. Yeah. Oh man, I love Lee. I love all those guys. Um, that's wow! I didn't know you had a test press of that one. That's I'm had, very jealous of that. Had a test press of that, and I think I, I think I still have the test press of uh, uh, shit. What was the other the second record? Bird uh, uh, Birdcage or uh, yeah, from, the, from the Birdcage. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Man, that's an incredible record, man. <laughs> it is awesome. Well, right on, man. I'll go ahead and let you get back to your night so that way we don't keep you any longer. But thank you again uh, for doing this, and I'm sure we'll we'll both be in touch uh, between when this goes out and when Dan uh, reaches out to have you on their podcast. Sounds good. Very cool. Good chat. Yeah, man. Thank you. All right, guys. Yep. Talk to you later. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thanks. So that was my chat with Adam Morgan with Daniel Terry co-hosting with me. Daniel, what did you think of that chat? Oh, it was a good chat, man. Um, Adam, super awesome dude, and uh, you know, I really I liked that he that he he let us, he answered our questions, no matter how pedestrian some of some of my questions, especially were. And uh, no, I really appreciate <laughs> that. And um, no, man, we definitely got some inside scoop, man. Apparently, this Hope's Fall record that's coming out soon has been uh, it's it's been on the burner for a while. 
Yeah, I was really shocked to when he started saying that, like, you know, this was they were jamming what would eventually become the new Hope's Wall record before the reunion in 2011. So, I mean, let's just do the math. Like, that's almost seven years worth of this record being worked on unbeknownst to anybody. And, and kind of like I had mentioned in the interview, I can't believe that they were able to keep it a secret between, you know, vinyl companies leaking, you know, who they're pressing shit for and so forth. Like, I can't believe no one knew, like, you know, he kind of alluded to the fact that people would be like, Oh, Oh, something's coming. You know, they're working on something. And then they kind of swerve tactic and throw out like the, the reissues of the back catalog. So I think they, they played it a very tight to the chest and it worked out for him. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it was really believable, like he was saying, that the uh, the reunion really didn't have a whole lot to do with the record. Or even if they had considered it a record at that time, they, they were just jamming songs. But, I mean, I it's hard, it's easy to believe when a band like this, you know, reunites, so to speak, and plays some shows and plays old material, you know, you kind of get this idea that, like, okay, well, maybe they're going to come back because that's what a lot of bands do. You know, they they... they they're kind of gauging where they're going to be if they're going to drop a new record or, or if they're going to play some shows or, or whatever, they're trying to gauge the fan interest. But I mean, the, the, the six years between 2011 and, and 2017, whenever they first announced this. Yeah. I mean, I, I had basically been like, okay, well, I guess they really did just get together and, and do a reunion show, but that's it. You know, we're never going to hear anything else. And uh, so, you know, definitely very much to my surprise, we were, like you said, John, when we did our, our episode on Hope's Fall last year, we didn't really come into it thinking about a new record. Right. You know, like I had just found out, you know, days before we posted that, that, that the band was a thing again. And, and you know, they, they had reactivated on social media and holy shit, there's these reissues coming out and like there's a new record. And I mean, it was definitely a cool time to be a hopes fall fan, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, they've kind of kept that hype going throughout and, uh, I couldn't be, I couldn't be more ready, man, for when this thing drops. It'll be interesting to see what this band does. Uh, as, as Adam had mentioned, you know, there's a handful of dates. Uh, and once again, July 13th, the day the record actually comes out, it's Arbiter, uh, out July 13th, be equal vision records and graphic nature records. Um, they're doing a CD release show at St. Vitus on July 13th. Uh, the second show, July 14th, is already sold out. And as you heard Adam say, the St. Vitus show on the 13th is fastly hitting that mark as well. Uh, then a week later, July 21st, they're going to be playing in their hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina at the Neighborhood Theater. And tickets are going for that. So if you are a Hope's Fall fan, as you heard, outside of these three shows, nothing is planning to happen. Nothing is ready to, to go. Um, I'm, I'm kind of holding out hope that since he said Jay lives in Chicago, that there'll at least be one Midwest show here in Chicago, maybe. Well, I'll see you there. If that's the case, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have some beers again. This chat was kind of long, so I'm going to kind of wrap up this, uh, intro and outro situation just because apparently a lot of people say that I talk too much and I don't need to talk as much as I do in these things. So, oh, they uh, haven't heard me yet. <laughs> so we're going to kind of wrap it out. Dan, where can everyone find you in the discography discussion online? So on Discography Discussion, you can find everything about us at www.discussmetal.com or www.heavymetalpodcast.com. <laughs> uh, we talk about metal and hardcore and all that good shit, and uh, we have a fun time, drunk time doing it. We uh, just recently had an episode on, on the band Hesley Dying with John on, and uh, it was a good, good time. It was. I set the record for longest podcast with you guys. 
<laughs> it was Rogan-esque. <laughs> All good. Uh, if you would like to follow Adam and or Hopes Fall, you can follow them on Facebook at Hopes Fall, official Instagram at Hopes Fall, Twitter at Hopes Fall. Uh, Adam, I'm not going to give his personal thing out, but if you are a sleuth of the internet, you can figure out a way to find him. Uh, Instagram, you can find him at Purge, B as in the letter, 4 as in the number, U as in the letter, binge. That's Purge before you binge. And I think his Twitter that I just found is under Madam Organ, which is basically just a weird, funny way of spelling his name uh, to make a clever handle. Um, but again, yeah, Arbiter is out July 13th via Equal Vision and Graphic Nature Records. Try to catch them on this trio of shows. You don't know when they're going to be playing around anymore. And uh, we always end these episodes out with a song. As you heard Adam pick, he wanted me to end it to Shiner's Dirty Jazz. So we're going to end it with Dirty Jazz. That sounds like a weird sexual act. That's all right. We'll get down to it. Fair enough. Thank you again, Dan, for coming on. And I will talk to you guys next week.